1: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Subi. I got TD, my guy, Taylor Dammel, back with me uh, for this episode. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your College Hooper of the Day, we're going to go with Ethan Raggy, former Creighton Blue Jay. Had to pull him out for this. That's right, Big East fans, Jay fans, Creighton fans, get up. We got an awesome interview when we're talking everything Creighton later this episode uh, with one of your own, so stay tuned for that. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. Super Bowl is set. So this means this upcoming week is all college hoops, baby. This is really when folks are like, okay, there's, you know, I, I, maybe I'm not ready for the NBA just yet. Uh, college hoops is heating up. There's a beautiful slate on Saturday, which we'll get to later this episode. Um, but all eyes are on us. This is basically the dress rehearsal, right? This week. I think you referenced it as the dress rehearsal in the past.
0: Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah, I mean, we got a two week span here where teams, I mean, this is about the time too, where teams really need to get their, their stuff together too. Um, so that when they can fully debut to a national audience on February 12th, right. That, uh, that they're ready. Um, I saw a good point today, uh, and something that was a good reminder of how we feel about college basketball and teams and if you remember that last year's national champion at this time last year was going through their worst stretch of basketball, essentially. And I believe they were even unranked at this point, right? Or had fallen to unranked around this time of year. Uh, um, really? I think they were unranked for Golly. a week. So wow. it's, I'll, I'll double check that here in a second, but it's point being though, we do know that, that Yukon had a very bad stretch in, in January last year. And, um, it's a good reminder for teams that have national championship aspirations like a Kansas or like an Arizona or any of those teams that have kind of lost a few more games than they would have anticipated to this point in the year that, um, you know, last year's national champion and this year's current number one team was playing their worst basketball at this time last year. So it's we're 48 days from selection Sunday right now, I believe, or 47, I believe when this podcast uh, releases, that's, it's a lot of time and not a lot of time, all at the same time, right? Fifty days, is kind of that's like, a bar, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, I like that.
0: Well, we'll talk about rappers later in this episode for sure, um, especially BET award-winning rappers as well uh, from Mississippi. But um, it's just important to remember that that we have there is enough time, right? There is enough time, especially if your team has shown signs and an ability to play that you know a, a good brand of basketball there is still time left. Now, if we're having this discussion in three weeks, more, what, it's, a, it's a different discussion. Then let's just put it that way.
2: What, what's my cutoff date, man? What do I always say?
0: What Valentine's day?
2: It's Valentine's day. So yeah. Get, cuffing you, you season. Get,
0: cuffing the basketball season. season it's just a cuffing <laughs> season. It's, it's solid I mean, uh,
2: if you, if you are stinky, there are some teams where, okay, I'll, I'll make a broad brush claim. I think it's, it's pretty obvious. And, Gosh, if it wasn't for their history and their pedigree, I would say Michigan State is just a broad brush. They're they're not going to do anything. But again, there's always that small percentage. But there are teams out there where I'm like, it's over. It's done. Uh, UCLA, they've actually shown signs of life and competitive fire and good hoop. They're only a game or two out of the Pac-12 first place. But I think it's too little too late. Like that three-week stretch – where they just got absolutely bodied by the likes of Utah who can't play on the road by the way. Uh but UCLA like I'm I'm not letting this fool me. You won't fool me. UCLA over this past couple of weeks, your season's cooked unless you go to Vegas and win the whole thing. Um but uh, like February 14th it, it's it's a it's approaching and I'm making some serious notes about how teams are playing.
0: So I'm going off script not that we have a real script here at theater and college hoops but i'm going off script already and just talking about a team that i need to see more from more than anyone else in the country and a team i am very specifically interested in because we have not seen them in this situation and that's gonzaga yes they're still not projected to make the tournament as of right now
2: and mary's game is going to be huge
0: and that is this saturday it's this saturday right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um and, and they play – do they play Santa Clara as well again, I think? I
2: this don't week. think they've <clears> – <throat> So oh, Or does St. Mar-
0: Mary's play Santa Clara this week? Whatever. The three best teams – one of them plays two, the other two best teams in the conference. Mm-hmm. And, boy, I mean, Gonzaga pretty much can't afford to lose – if they lose two more games, they're not going to make the tournament. Like, that's nuts to think. They- it's what we. It's what we've always said about Gonzaga – that if they don't win those three or four non-conference games that that they have per year, then their then their whole uh, resume is pretty worthless. Um, it, we're seeing that now come to fruition it, it, more though more so than we've ever seen it before. I can't ever remember a, a team heading into February in Spokane there that was not projected to make the tournament
2: projected to make the tournament dude we're usually talking about them as a the lock for the one one because seat, the, right. you know uh so the, it is Saint Mary's that has Santa Clara
0: and then right so the big Zags. huge week in the in the West Coast conference this this mm-hmm. week I mean this totally is, is is gonna determine pretty much the entirety of the standings and it's gonna it could determine Gonzaga's season and you hate to say that especially talking about how I just said we have so much we have a lot of time left Problem for Gonzaga compared to the other schools that we're concerned about the other schools have a lot of opportunities in the Big East or even in the Pac-12 there's opportunities in the Mountain West there's opportunities um, Gonzaga. They got like two opportunities left this year. And if they, especially if they lose those two games, then they're, they're completely screwed. They will have to win the, the conference tournament, which they will, because this is so dumb. I, <laughs> Sorry. I,
2: like That would not shock. But the thing is, is that I wouldn't take Gonzaga to go far, very, very far. No, away. no, no. Absolutely. You know what absolutely. I mean? Like absolutely. you'd make it, you, you keep it up for, for, for streak purposes, but they don't have dudes. They don't have Jalen Suggs. Like the likes, even of, of, of Kevin Pangos, Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, like those are dudes. Those Nembhard, are
0: dudes. and Nemhard just hasn't been the guy he was expected to be. We talk about him a little bit later in this episode as well. Um, I mean, he's not bad, but he doesn't he didn't, he didn't take a step up by any means. Um, yeah, it, it, Anton Watson's
2: he, good, but he can't. I don't know if he he can like they. They're, we're used to seeing NBA studs like right, pro or, players.
0: Yeah, or if not NBA guys, at least like like all all American borderline guys, all mm-hmm. conference type of guys. We don't even really have that. We have nobody on this team that's like, oh yeah, they're a they're an outside chance of being like a third team all American or anything like that. Like that's not this team doesn't possess that. Um, Anyway, that's uh, that's a team that I'm definitely looking forward to. I mean, that's got to be. Am I am I wrong in in saying that that t- to me is the number one team I'm focused on over this next couple weeks here b- between now and, and Valentine's Day that that will have to show me more or show everybody more to even be able to to make this to make the tournament. That's got to yeah. they got to be the number the biggest name. I mean, Michigan State, like you said, um, is is kind of in the same boat. But they could win six in a row in the Big in the Big Ten and be like, oh, well, look at that. They're already a seven seed. You, you know, like the, the opportunities just aren't going to be there for Gonzaga.
2: So you mentioned Nemhard, and you mentioned that we talk about him a little later in this episode. That is because we were so fortunate and lucky to have on to the program assistant coach at Creighton University, Jalen Courtney Williams. This was a real blast. I uh, had a lot of fun talking with Jalen. Uh, we sat down with him to talk about Creighton – and their tremendous run here in January. Their only loss is to the defending national champs in UConn. Uh, they we talk a little bit about their triple overtime thriller against Seton Hall, and really dive into Jalen's background. Uh, a guy from Mississippi who went to LSU and then Moorhead State, and then returned to Starkville as a, a as part of Ben Howland's staff, and then uh, went to McNeese State right in in Lake Charles, and then now he's up at Omaha doing tremendous work uh, for, for Doug McDermott and and that staff and Creighton's obviously experienced a ton of success over the last couple seasons. I gas him up. Jalen's a very, uh, he's a very modest individual, but his playing days were really good. His coaching is directly correlating with Creighton's success. So this was a lot of fun. And of course you mentioned a rapper TD. Uh, I don't want to give that away. Actually, you got to listen to the end of the interview as to who were who were bringing up but that was this was a great interview and and creighton fans i know uh, you're going to be excited for this one we do talk a little bit about sdsu so prep yourselves but without any further delay i want to get you to this interview with assistant coach for the creighton blue jays jalen courtney We are so excited to welcome on to Theater and College Hoops a former forward for LSU and Moorhead State, a man who was on Ben Howland's staff at Mississippi State before taking on an assistant and associate head coach roles at McNeese State, which preceded where he's at today. We got assistant coach at Creighton University, Jalen Courtney Williams. Jalen, what's going on, man? Thank you for making the time.
1: What an intro. How about that? I did my research, Jalen. Yeah, no, that's incredible.
2: I mean, you have a very incredible past, and we're going to get to know all about it. I-, I want you to go into depth and detail about uh, you know your playing days and then also how you got into to coaching. But let me first start off with Creighton. We were talking a little bit about it before recording. You guys are rolling right here in January.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're, ha- we're having some fun. We're having some fun. Uh, it's like I told you off, I guess, uh, when we weren't recording. We're getting better team's getting better, and that's what you want to see. You want to see uh, guys grow together, get better as the season goes on, and you want to play your best basketball, you know, close to March or as close to March as you can.
2: You're putting the ball in the hoop, too. I'm looking at the last three games, 85 the last two games. Yeah. Triple overtime, you put in 97 against Seton Hall, but still.
1: 55 minutes helps.
2: (laughs) You guys are putting the ball in the hoop, and I I think that's what a lot of folks expect from Creighton basketball, I suppose, their brand or – coming in is just the high level offense Uh, last couple of games. What are you attributing this, this offensive uptick to?
1: No, you know what? We, uh, our point guard is a transfer. So it's his, it's his first time, uh, in our system, which it takes some getting used to the pace that we want to play at the way the ball moves, you know, uh, it's, it's really unique. I'd like to think. And then, um, you know, other guys are just in new roles. Uh, Trey Alexander is in a new role. Baylor Shireman's in a fairly new role, even though they played heavy minutes a year ago. Um, both of those guys are asked to do more of the ball handling and playmaking than they were a year ago. Um, And then Mason Miller is in a brand new role. And So, again, as the season goes, you want to see guys progress. And I think that's what you're seeing.
0: So you talked about another number of transfers and, you know, people playing new roles. How much different is it, you know, today – with all these moving parts, like every single year, like should the, should a fan of Creighton or any other school not even expect to see what this, what a team really looks like until like January, early February.
1: It shouldn't be a shocker if, if uh, a fan of anybody has to get to know a new team from a year to year standpoint. Uh, I think we're unique in the way we like to do it. You know, we, we want to maintain our culture and, and some of the things that we do. Um, and we do that with recruiting young young guys out of high school, um, and you go in the portal with a need in mind. Um, but the rules are, are you know, want to dictate otherwise. Um, so you know, it's it's tough for a fan base like ours. You know, we we like to grow guys and see guys grow, and our fans like to do the same thing. Um, our supporters rather like to see see guys grow from freshman to sophomore, Ryan Calkburners of the world. You know uh, so we want to continue to do that the best you can but you also have to adapt it, into a new climate so i think we're we're kind of balancing that the best the best we can
2: i'm so glad you mentioned all the different personnel and the lineups and Brenner especially there are some names that we're going to really dive into and yeah you've been integral in their success and their growth as well but i want to start first with you jalen uh, and give our audience a better understanding of who you are, where you come from, and your college basketball journey. So sure. you're from Jackson, Mississippi, right? We mm-hmm. don't get many high-level players like yourself, my man. So can you take us behind the curtains of the recruiting process, your decision to go to LSU? Uh, take us through that. What was that like as a high schooler?
1: Man, Well, first of all, I would like to say I was probably the worst good basketball player in that space at the time. Um, how do, do you, how do you define that? Why do you define that? I'll explain that. Mississippi basketball comes in like stages and waves, right? So every 10 years, you get a huge influx of talent for whatever reason. I can't really explain it. Uh, you know, before me, it was uh, Al Jefferson and Monte Ellis and all those guys. And then it took a few years. Um, and then all of a sudden you get Quentin Ross, who was the number one player in the country in my era. You get uh Rodney Hood. Who, you know, went to the NBA. Johnny O'Brien played in the NBA, played with me at LSU. You get uh, you know, a string of top fifty to seventy players. Um that we, you know, a lot of us went high major division one basketball, and a lot of us went mid major. You get Isaiah Cannon again, you know, went to Murray State, had a great career, went to the NBA. So I was probably the worst of that bunch. Uh, you know, but we had a good time, man. And from there went to LSU, uh, was recruited by Trent Johnson and his staff. Um he was maybe two years removed from, from Stanford. Um, he gets the LSU job, and, and, you know, LSU is where I wanted to go my whole life. Uh, I have a lot of family in Louisiana. LSU went to the Final Four in 06, and, you know, that was like the biggest brand of basketball, uh, you know, close to me at the time. So I was fortunate enough to get recruited and, and to play there, and I played there with some of my best friends, Johnny O'Brien, as I mentioned, Andre Stringer who was an AAU teammate of ours, uh, Johnny and myself. And we all played on the same team in college. So how, how often do you get to do that? Uh, and f- You know, did that for three years. From there, I went to uh, Moorhead State uh, for my last year of basketball under Sean Woods and uh, head, current head coach there, Preston Spradlin, was an assistant. Um, and unfortunately, I was injured the entire time I was there. I had six total knee surgeries in college. So I spent a lot of time in the training room and not enough time on the basketball court, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, And just in that process, man, I I fell into coaching kind of, uh, it was a surprise to me. I had no plans on ever being a coach, Um, but through those injuries um, I just spent a lot of time, like I said, in the training room, but also in the coach's office, and just trying to give myself to my team the best way I could. And sometimes that was just, my voice or through maybe i watched extra film or something like that and and uh i don't know it just became the rest of my life
0: so well first off you didn't need to bring up lequint ross to us arizona guys that's still <laughs> 10 years later still yeah. a sore still a sore subject at least in yeah, my home. yeah yeah but uh but um so is there q, any Q's point a bad
1: boy man q q yeah bad boy. okay
0: man i know okay i know, he was I know. i'm sorry
1: okay. i'm sorry i got another one for you another name okay, i didn't yeah, mention okay. uh renardo sydney was oh, yeah. the number one player yeah. in the country as well he was well.
0: nasty
1: yeah yeah so so i came out in the class of 2010 renardo's class of 2009 la was 2011. so that in that span man we we had a really high uh, level of basketball being played in the state of mississippi
0: renardo um, sydney was a, a oh, he's guy a, he was a yeah. real deal, <laughs> real
1: deal. <laughs> so you know a guy insane. like me i was kind of like in the mix but i wasn't him or the but i was in the mix and and mm-hmm. No, it, it made for some really, really fun times uh, in the state of Mississippi at the time. And, and nationally, you know, we made a little noise nationally as well. Um, and, you know, again, you know, you look back on those times and, and you think, like, wow. You know, it's, it's hard to even explain. You tell people all the time, yeah. like, man, we, we really had it going in Mississippi. Um, oh, yeah. And, but, you know, again, I, t- I told you it comes in stages. As you fast forward, you get Malik Newman, who was the number one player in the world. Uh at a time as well. Um, and so I was at Mississippi State with Malik and Quindary Witherspoon, who got drafted as well. They were in the same class. And, you know, the rest is history, man.
0: Dude, all these names just essentially define our lifetime as, you know, all three of our, like, adult lifespans of yeah. uh, college basketball. Here. Exactly. So, so when you were – you know, you talked about being injured and how uh, – you know, I don't want to say that you fell into coaching, right, but, you know, kind of no, it wasn't something that you had planned on. So at, was there a point in that time that you were you were like specific point that you can remember while you were injured that you were like, wait a second, maybe maybe this is what my next, you know, path is going to be? Was it like during a game or, you know, calling out a play or something like that? Did you, did you have like an aha moment or anything like that?
1: No, no, it was, it was not like that at all. Like most guys, I was holding on to the hoop dream as long as I could. So I thought I would get get healthy and get back on the court um, at some point during the season which I got back on the court but I still wasn't healthy I threw up a couple of air balls and I was like ah, I don't think I could. I don't think I could do this uh, no I I, I I attach that to just really good leaders I think uh, I think the best leaders create other leaders um, and I've been fortunate enough to be around some some really strong leaders and coaches and and um, they had a huge, huge influence on me. And at a time where I didn't really know where to turn and pivot in my life, um, all of them, whether it be Trent Johnson and his staff, whether it be Johnny Jones and his staff, who was uh, who I played for at LSU for one year. Um, and then the Moorhead staff as well, like all of them, you know, kind of counseled me in this direction, and I'm so glad they did. So
2: you talk about some of the leaders that you've been able to work with I'm curious to know about your time spent in Starkville and working with Ben Howland. I mean, this is a guy who in my eyes could be considered one of the more underrated coaches in like the 21st century. The guy's been to multiple final fours. Yeah. Key component architect of those great UCLA teams, right. With Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. Um, And so you got to work with him in Starkville. What was that like? What is what is Ben Howland like? Take us behind the curtains there. Because well, that's kind of really like where you first cut your teeth into coaching,
1: right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so so first of all, I, you know, being a player and then a coach is, is completely different walks of life almost. And so talk about an eye-opening experience. You know, my first month in the office with Ben Howland, right? You know, he's, he's um, extremely, extremely detail-oriented. You know what I mean? And so as a young dude like myself, coming fresh off the basketball court, a lot of times I didn't know what he was talking about or asking for. Uh, And it started out, uh, you know, more on the court with guys. And then I eventually became his video coordinator, uh, which was a a, a completely different experience within itself. But um, he kept me on my toes. Again, as a young coach, he, he, you know, I I was up late a lot of nights trying to think like him and, and try to predict what he would ask for the next day and things like that. And I think that, shows itself right now in my, in my attention to detail uh, and things like that but phenomenal basketball coach and even better person so real quick taylor
2: before you jump back in uh growing up in mississippi i i, I don't i'm not from mississippi but uh-huh. i have to think that you're either an old miss fan or a mississippi state fan what were you growing up and did that conflict arise at all uh in coaching no, listen
1: man i was a tiger I, t- I told you i was a tiger through and through uh my dad is from louisiana and a lot of his family is, is still in louisiana um and it was just something about the purple and gold when i was growing up man i just i went into the maroon at the time and, and the old miss same thing and that wasn't really for me uh and i remember going on my official visit to lsu and i was like yep these are my people this is where i belong
0: just yeah, one one Saturday night in Death Valley probably is all it would all take it took for, for me to be took. like, yeah, okay, this is this will work. You know? That's all so. it took. <laughs> I still watch that video to get hyped for, and I have no association with LSU. Yeah. So, um, well, I went I
1: went to a party on my visit. I won't tell you what happened, but I was like, oh. yep, I'm coming. This is yeah. <laughs> this is this is where I'm going to school.
0: <laughs> we. We, we get it. Don't worry. We get it. So. Nah, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, when you got into coaching, obviously you were the youngest you possibly could be essentially getting into yeah. coaching. So what kind of advantage was that in terms of like being able to relate to the players on the court? And then also mm-hmm. what was the, what was the disadvantage to that? You kind of talked about having to learn so much so quickly, but yeah. was it more of an advantage to be that young as a coach or a disadvantage?
1: Uh, I would say advantages for sure. Like you get in, and I was still able to get on the court with guys, uh, really compete against guys, uh, the best I could. I was still coming off a few knee injuries, um, but they knew they 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 knew I could relate to them as a player and you know just a student athlete, things like that. I guess the disadvantage came in because I, I was around people that had been in the business of coaching for so long, um, whether it be Coach Howland, assistants, the support staff, everybody had been on that side of it for so long and I was coming in, you know, green, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, so to speak. Um and you know, every now and then I still I still feel that I'm around, you know, Greg McDermott now who's you know, he probably would hate hate me if I said this, but he's been a head coach longer than I've been alive, I think. <laughs> and, and so there's always moments where I feel like I got the answers and then he comes out of left field with something that I never would have thought of. <laughs> but it's because he's seen, he's seen it done it, heard it and been a part of it. Um, but again, I, I'm, I'm a student of the game and I'm a sponge. So I've, I've been able to take it all in and, and it's helped.
2: You want to talk about a painfully underrated coach. Greg McDermott is also on that Listen, list. He, he, he's,
1: he's the best, he's the best coach in the game. I, I, I don't care. I don't care who, who thinks what he's the best coach in the game.
2: Um, talking Jalen.
1: And, and, and I think that goes, you look at his coaching tree right now. You look at the success some of these guys are having. Uh, I saw Alan Huss was national coach of the week today uh, as a first-year head coach. And I think that's a testament to not only those guys and the work they put in, but it's a testament to, to Coach McDermott. So before we
2: dive into this year's edition of Creighton Basketball, this year's team and this year's identity, forgive me, I'm going to open up uh, some wounds from last year, but it's only, it. because cool. it. <laughs> it's only because we're so fortunate to have you on. But the SDSU game, of course, mm-hmm. what I'm curious to know, Jalen, is – what was going through the team and your mind that last possessed basically those last free throws and then what was what was it like in the locker room uh, whatever you're able to share you know and how has that driven you if at all this season
1: yeah uh it's like a a, a blank when that when that whistle blew i think everybody was just in a shock couldn't believe that like this is how it could this is how it could end and ultimately did end um you know whether you know it was a foul or not refs got to do their job man what a tough way to go right um yep obviously everybody in the locker room there was there were some tears and it was just shock and i don't know if you guys saw coach mcdermott's uh post game um uh, afterwards it kind of went viral um our staff did a good job they put pianos behind it and all that stuff man it was a real tear jerker but but it was very genuine messaging from from coach mcdermott uh about the season that we had, how those guys came together. Um, Most of them young. Uh, You know, we had a number of sophomores on that team and, you know, transferred with Baylor Shireman. Um, You know, that team came together, fought some adversity with six losses in a row, could have splintered, could have went different directions. And you know, at the end of the day, they came together and had a a, a pretty fun run. So, you know, moving forward to this year, uh, I think it drove guys like Trey, Guys like Baylor, um, Kalkbrenner, it, it drove those guys to want to come back, and you know, see if we can do it again, and if, you know, do it even better. Um, and then, you know, guys like Stephen Ashworth, you know, on the outside looking in, I think it gave him a, uh, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder as well. He's like, I want to, I want to play there and maybe do what they couldn't do a year ago. So, it's been fun.
0: So, not to not to belabor this bad news here for for too long, but uh-huh. so when the tournament goes on and obviously there's only one team that wins the tournament every year. Mm -hmm. Right. When you're in that situation and it is quite the heartbreaking situation as you're watching the, at this point, the few remaining games of the tournament, are you pro San Diego state? Are you anti San Diego? Are you, are you just, are you not watching any of it? Like what, what is the team going through? Is it just everyone's different? Right. You know what
1: we were um, at least I can speak for myself. I was pro big East. Um, So, you get guys that you've you've been to battle with in terms of UConn. You, you want to see them have success, um, and they ultimately they did. And you know, so I, I like to think that our odds would have would have risen had we made it that far. You know, you get two Big East Big East, uh, teams battling it out for the national championship. That would have been fun, but you know, they they ended up getting it done. So good for them. So.
2: And unpacking this a little bit more, and because of your elite playing days, and now you're a young star in the in the coaching space. I like how you say that
1: they weren't that elite, but all right, let's do it. <laughs> let's
2: do it. Hey, man, I'm I'm impressed. Look, I, I only played two years of varsity ball. All right, yeah, and I'm yeah. over here hosting a podcast now, so I I got a lot of respect for what you do. Let's talk uh, about. But in terms of being a player versus being a coach, you've been in the Big East now. I know you've had some nail biters and obviously a lot of tournament success Uh, player versus coach. What holds more butterflies for you being on the court plane or on the side?
1: Coaching for sure, because you come up with the game plan on this side of it, but you're kind of relying on everybody to do their jobs. And there's not much you can do other than yell at the top of your lungs. You know, as a player, at least you have some type of physical impact on the, on the outcome. Unless you're playing against, I don't know, Anthony Davis, and you don't have that much impact at all. That's part of <laughs> my story. Of the,
2: yeah, that's a that's one of the best college players ever.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you have a good I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, I mean, coaching for sure. But it's fun, man. It's it's, it's fun, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything about it.
0: So, um, from reading your profiles and stuff, you have a couple kids, right? I, three did i read that three. yeah okay yeah. so so i just had my first kid right and I, if your parents were anything like everybody else's parents they were always like well just wait until you are a parent right yeah so, so when you, you think about from, it well i think it's great five months old we're doing wonderful she's wonderful oh, right yeah. congrats, yeah, it's Great. thank you thank you but so when you became a coach were you like oh maybe I treated my coaches a certain way as a player for years and now I'm on the other side and I'm like, Oh I, shoot, I, I maybe, maybe I should have.
1: <laughs> I text every one of them like, Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> I was wrong. I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of them I'm, I'm, really close to now. And we'll see each other on the road and, and, you know, I'll just like go give them big hugs. Uh, cause in hindsight, hindsight's 2020, 20, obviously. Um, but all the things that they were trying to instill in us and in me, you know, turns out they weren't wrong.
2: Perspective is pretty funny.
1: Yeah. yeah. It turns and out all the film they watched, maybe they knew what they were talking about.
2: Just a little bit. Just, just a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about this year's team and some of the results. Man, a couple of weeks ago, you played an absolute thriller. When I first reached out to Jalen Taylor, I basically was like, yo, I'd love to have you come on. Uh, by the way, that game was insane. As a yeah. fan, I loved it. Of course, I'm talking about the triple overtime game at Seton Hall, who has been a very good team and a very strong team this year. Jalen, I'm curious to know, did you take anything about your team away from that triple overtime win? Like, was there something you learned about this program that maybe you didn't know coming into that game?
1: Uh, program, no. But this specific team, yeah, sure. uh, you, you saw that team's connection really, really shine. Um, you know, there were times where we thought we won the game and we didn't. There were times when we, you know, you, all right, this game's probably over and you lose it and you didn't. Right. But that team showed real resiliency and connection um, and the ability to have a short term memory, whether good or bad, just move on to the next play. I mean, it showed a lot of maturity um, and connection. That's That's what I would say stuck out.
0: So when you look at, you know, that back to back or you played a close one at St. John's, a very a one point game against St. John's, you lose to the number one team in the country and then you go back and win this this triple overtime game against, a you know, a really up and coming Seton Hall team yeah. in a month from now or on Selection Sunday in 48 days. Is that like stretch of basketball right there something that we're going to look back on and be like, oh, that was the point that Creighton came together for the season. Do you see it as I mean, can you identify games like that? in that capacity be like okay that was like the turning not that you guys needed a turning point but like the turning point in the season where it all came together and and we hit our stride right there
1: I mean yeah I guess from your perspective that's that's easy to do look at games I'd like to say we could we could look at practices on on, on our end um you know there's just been I never thought we had a bad practice with this group but there have been practices here lately where you could tell like the chemistry's really where it needs to be um guys are completely locked in, um, you know, you, you move past that triple overtime game and there's a quick turnaround for the next game and you can't do as much the next day uh, physically, so it's a mental day. But the way those guys took in the information in the scout report and brought it to the game floor, um, like I, I would like to point to things like that
2: college basketball seasons I mean for for guys like us who are just sitting on the couch not putting in the work like you guys uh it can feel long but also compressed right and so I'm always curious to know Jalen you've been uh on on sidelines now for for a good bit to understand where and what you want to see from your program and your team uh during different parts of the season right like so in pre-Thanksgiving I'm not expecting a team to play it at all all world level yeah. same thing with december we're here in late january and february's coming around the corner you don't necessarily i can't imagine you want to see your team hit their ceiling right now but right. what exactly in this juncture of the season uh are you looking for and what and in, and in, in, in what you're looking to accomplish and it can be on the practice court it can be in games itself give us a better understanding of what you and your staff want to see from this team at this juncture of the season
1: uh Well, I'll start at the beginning, right? Like you said, you're not going to play your best basketball in November. Um, But you want to see guys really going out and attempting to do what you preach every day and what you work on in practice. Um, At this point, you you hope to see real execution on both sides of the ball. You hope to see uh, guys carry over scout reports um, into the games and start to really speak your language and really carry over what you do on a day-to-day basis. Um, You can't control whether the ball goes in or not, but hopefully they're playing with big-time confidence. Um, Hopefully everybody kind of understands what they bring to a team, and and they they go out and try to execute their job. Um, So right now, that's what you want to see more than anything.
0: So is there anyone on this team, if we go back to the beginning of the year like we just did, is there anyone on this team specifically that's made – a, a longer stride than anyone else. Anyone else yeah. that you've been like impressed with that this guy's really taken this in more. Yeah. So yeah.
1: It's yeah. easy, easy call. It's Steven Ashworth. Um, you know, he comes in from a really good Utah state team. Um, they had a lot of success. He had a ton of success and he comes in on this team. It's different. You know, you're playing with, you know, potential NBA guys on this team, your shot selection, you know, changes the volume of shots change a little bit. Um, Obviously the competition level changes and I'll, I'll tell you and he knows this at one point he was the worst defender, maybe on the court um, and he's somehow transformed himself into one of the better defenders like he's hard to take off the floor and you can put him on other team's best guard uh, and feel good about it. Um, you know even you look back a game ago, Jalen Terry, I think he uh maybe hit six threes um, the game before hours he couldn't even get one off in this in this last game. Uh, and that's a credit to Stephen Ashworth, and you know how he's he's made the decision to be a big time defender, and he's taken coaching and and uh, followed the scout report to a T, and his maturity to to understand what he was maybe weak at, you know, at the beginning, and make it a strength.
2: Stephen Ashworth's uh, emergence has been noticeable for sure. Yeah. I want to I want to talk a little bit about Ryan Calkbrenner. Ryan Calkbrenner, excuse me. Yeah. He is – so we have what what we call Van Wilder guys, Jalen, and it's a term of endearment. What that means is that this is a guy that's seemingly been around forever. Uh, but Ryan Kalkrenner, man, I see him taking nicks, cuts, bruises, gets battered, and I personally think he's a victim of his own size in the sense yeah. that he, don't, he probably doesn't get as many calls as he should just because he's huge. Um, and I remember that game against Seton Hall. I think he took one to the chops. And I just admire his toughness yeah. and how he's evolved as a player—not just a, a terrific defender, but now he's he's a real post presence. Mm-hmm. Can you talk? And I, I think you've been integral in that as well, Jalen. Can you talk a little bit about when you first got to Omaha, working with Ryan Colkbrenner to where he is now—one of the best Big East players. Of like five, seven years or so, I would say.
1: Yeah, listen, you 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 hit it on the head. First of all, like I tell people all the time when they ask me about his toughness, um, you're talking about a dude that's might have maybe missed four practices total um, in the time that I've been at Creighton. So yeah, he get he gets beat up and banged up not only in games but in practice. Um, and our style of play is, is it asks a lot out of him on both sides of the ball. Man, he just keeps showing up. So I, I think that's real toughness and mental toughness to keep showing up every day. Um, I can't take any credit for his development. I think um, his maturity and, and him making a decision of what kind of player he wanted to be, um, that's the biggest testament you know, to him. I think uh, he's one of the guys that I can say in my career, in terms of taking in information and applying it immediately, he's been one of the best that I've ever been around. Um, you know, you can coach him on Monday and whatever you tell him on Monday, when you see him Tuesday, it's a part of who he is. Um, So guys like that get better quickly. Um, He's one of the smartest basketball players I've been around. You know, his IQ is insane Uh, on, on either side, you know, and you're talking about that in a center that's pretty unique, but he can quarterback defensive coverages. You know, he can spit them out and help other guys get to the right spots. And, you know, we send everything to him. He's got a, he's got a tough job and he keeps showing up. So, now you you guys go their whole career and never coach a Ryan Caulkburner. So I'm I'm just I'm, I'm grateful that I've been in the position to, to to coach him and and help him. You know, however, you know I've been able to help him, but he's done a lot for us and he continues to do so.
0: So bouncing off that, you know, after last year you lose Nemhard and Kaluma, you know, two mm-hmm. high level contributors. And so what is it like to have adults on the team like a Shireman, like a Kalkbrenner? How much easier does that make your job as you bring these new guys in? And these aren't 18-year-old guys that you're asking to lead other guys. Yeah. Like, these are 22, 23-year-olds yeah. that have played for – yeah, talking about Van Wilder guys, Shireman's been around even longer in college basketball than, than Kalkbrenner. No doubt. How much? I don't, I don't want to say easier, but how much easier does it make your job when you have these these adults in the room yeah. You know, as the season goes on?
1: Well, it's it's it just it's different because the, the communication is different. You know, it's it's one thing when you're talking about a freshman or a sophomore and you're you're trying to communicate roles and responsibilities to them. But guys like Baylor and Kalt Benner, Trey, you know, even and even a, a new guy like Stephen, who he's been around the block a few times. You know, you, you watch the film, you tell him what you need from him, and those guys internalize the messages and, and try to go out and get it done. And the the way they communicate with each other. Um, it's, is unique, you know, we were the baby Jays two years ago. That's what our fans used to call us like the baby Jays. you know, and now all of a sudden you have all this experience. Um, it's, it's different, man. Practice has been different. You hear their voices more than ever in our gym, at least in, you know, more than you did in the last two years. Um, so it's, it's been really cool. It's been really cool. It's, 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 it's been unique, uh, for us. And maybe that happens more in the portal. You, 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 maybe you're older, uh, Sooner and longer, um you know, maybe not. We, like I said earlier, we want to do it more the traditional route than we do the portal. We want to kind of balance it the best you can. But this year's been been really unique and, and fun.
2: So the last two off seasons, we mentioned their names, right? You bring in Baylor Shireman before last last year's season, and then this year yeah. you got Stephen Ashworth. And I want to unpack a little bit about your thought regarding communication, right? So when you bring in these new guys that have excelled in yeah. other programs but creighton it, it like this this team uh has been built on the backs of guys like trey alexander and also ryan Coltbrenner in terms of that communication when you're bringing in these new guys who can certainly be contributors is there uh a sit down or a messaging of hey this is what we're about we need you to do your best to contribute to that? Like, what is that part of the recruiting as well, making sure that they can fit into the greater greater scheme?
1: Yeah, well, again, the the Creighton, uh, the way we play I think is unique and you can't play like that without the right guys. And we try to identify guys that can play in our system. Uh, Coach says it all the time. It's it's nearly impossible to recruit a selfish player, a selfish person and turn them into an unselfish player. Um, so as we're out recruiting guys, we try to identify guys whose who's, uh, internal makeup kind of fits who we are and, and, and what we're about. And ultimately, our guys want to win. You know, Trey Alexander, Baylor, Ryan, Hart, I mean, uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner, those guys went to an Elite Eight, and, uh, you know, they, they came back hungry for for, for more. Um, so they wanted guys that could, you know, increase their, their probability to win. They, so it, it wasn't too many conversations of, hey, guys, you know we're going to bring in somebody to take a shot no 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 these 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 guys want to win they want to compete and they want to be around good players um and they're they're completely okay with sharing the spotlight and sharing the basketball and all those things and that, I think that's what makes us you know us
0: so you know we're all the same age here we've seen a lot of changes really in in the time that we've been well, you have been a little more focused on basketball in your life than maybe yeah. Subi and I have, right? But in our in our lifespan of college basketball fans, right? We've seen the game change a ton since 2007, 2008
1: Yeah.
0: in terms of how, you know, which plays are run, who you're recruiting, why you're recruiting them, all that type of stuff. So in terms of from when you be- were a recruit and you had, you know, you were in the prime of the one and done era, essentially, mm-hmm. at like 08 to, to 2015 range, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't really think you can win in college basketball anymore with a bunch of one and duns. So, you know, you talk about how Creighton wants to develop some younger guys um, and, you know, go the more traditional route. So, I mean, is that – how do you feel about one and duns and recruiting those type of guys versus guys that you need to develop now and turn into, like, the next Ryan Brenner that's going to be at the school for three, four years?
1: I just think everybody's timeline is different. Uh, You know, some guys are ready. Uh, sooner than later, some guys need some development. I just think uh, the families and the kids got to do what's best for them, and I think each university has to do what's best for them, uh, respectively. We've we've had a lot of success with with guys again going a more traditional route, not necessarily one and dones. You know, I think all of the NBA guys that have come from Creighton were, were unranked players. Um, you know, we're, I think we're just now stepping into the, the realm of. Uh, you know, top 50 players here in the last three years or so. Um, you know, I, th- I think this crop of guys has potential NBA players on it as well. But, you know, we've had success with, you know, guys that weren't necessarily highly touted. And, you know, we want to just continue finding the right guys for us, whether you're one and done or, or whether you're a no star, that that stuff doesn't matter in the grand scheme. So.
2: You talk about the right guys for you. There's a specific five that I want to talk about real quick because I was okay. doing a bit of research here, Jalen. And this is one of – Taylor, this is one of the most efficient uh, lineups in the entire country. Trey Alexander, Stephen Ashworth, Ryan Brenner Mason Miller, Baylor Shireman. Yeah. That is such an efficient – by the numbers, a super efficient uh, five. Why?
1: Uh we well, you mentioned a handful of guys that can all stretch the floor and really shoot it. Um and and, and they really pass it as well. Guys are very unselfish. Again, that's our system. Um, but and you talk about the game changing since 06-07. The three-point line has really become probably the biggest change. Um, and when I was playing, you had traditional lineups with two post players essentially, and maybe one shooter. And you play inside the arc like the '90s Pistons or something like that. Well, I think uh, Coach McDermott has was one of the first to embrace the change uh, of the game, and you saw that with his son Doug, and you know their ability to shoot it on that team, and and they sh- they shot it early, they shot it often, they shot long ones, um, and, and you know that's been a consistent theme of ours over the last you know 14 years that Max been been at Creighton. Um, so that lineup is just it's just the the 2024 version of his team in 2010. You know, four four or five guys now with Ryan, you know, adding the three ball to his game that can can really stretch the floor. They pass it. They're all unselfish. Um, so I yeah, I would I would say that's why.
0: Yeah. So, you know, this isn't necessarily specific to this year's team, but how much does having NBA alum, especially when coach's son is one of the best college basketball players of all time and an nba player how much interaction do you get with those guys the nba players that have come through creighton and how much does that impact like the current roster you have do do they identify with a a certain player do they spend a lot of time back on campus talk about those relationships
1: no it's huge it's huge not just the nba guys even the guys that are playing overseas right i mean they put a lot of blood sweat and tears into this thing and and you know you talk about uh, this team be, being built on the backs of some guys, you know, all those guys. Uh, so whenever they come back, and like these guys will practice with us. Like, like Doug has been in practices, like real practices, you know, like doing our coverages and <laughs> and you know doing the things that we want our guys to do. So it's, it's always huge um, when those guys come back. Especially, it helps when when the best dude uh, in college basketball at one point was coach's son. And talk about a, a special, special dude, man. He's he's incredible. He's a lot like his dad. Just his temperament's great. Um, uh, I joke with him all the time and he went to college and played daddy ball, you know. Like <laughs> I could score three thousand points if I played for my dad. You know, no, I could not have. <laughs> I could not dude, have.
0: Dude, we do this, so we talk about we sometimes do trivia on on here, right? And we always talk about like how many two thousand point scores a school had. And then yeah. you realized when Doug had three thousand plus points and just the absurdity Ridiculous. of his stats at great uh, uh, and like you said, a no star guy too. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, that he is. What I love about Creighton basketball is is the D- McDermotts in a lot of ways because Doug is like the Creighton basketball player. He's yeah, in the development, just like not only just because he was his, you know, the coach's yep. son. Like, I mean, what a cool guy to be like the flag bearer of the school, right? And a, and a great guy to, and he's our age too, which makes me feel he's, worthless. I'm telling you, uh, there you know. cannot
1: be a better guy. Like you said, that's a good way to put it. The flag bearer for Creighton basketball because he's an incredible dude with an incredible story. Um, I'm sure he's tired of me asking about the story because it's it's still so unbelievable sometimes um, that this no star guy who played on the same high school basketball team as Harrison Barnes. uh, Everybody recruited Harrison and nobody recruited Doug. And then that guy plays 10 years plus in the NBA. Um, It's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. But again, you're right. He's, he's, he is the greatest flag bearer of a school that, that you can have. I mean, talk about efficiency right he scored three thousand points and and probably three thousand of the most efficient buckets <laughs> that you've ever seen uh and that's who we that's who we who we've been and, and who we want to remain
2: Dougie Dougie did it with those big old sleeves too that was another different era in college basketball the the uh, big tees big, T's, big uh, shorts, yeah wristbands. You, that's right he yeah. I, mean, I don't know how he did it considering it, I feel like it would constrict my shooting motion, but that's how good of a score. And that's another thing, Taylor, imagine having to like, you're 18, 19 years old, you got class and things like that, study hall, whatever, and you're coming around a screen, trying to guard Doug McDermott in practice or like Kyle Korver in practice, man, that's gotta be really cool. But at the same time, like, good Lord, give me a break. I need I'll tell you what I respect
1: about, about a dude like Doug. Uh, and I'm sure he's been like, like this his whole career. I think guys will walk in and it happens to us now guys watch us warm up and guys will walk in and say, where's the, where's the 30 point a game guy? Where's he at? Him, not him. No way. And then he would bust them up. You know, I respect that. I respect that. Make them believers, man.
0: You know, let me go back to the shorts and t-shirts just for a second here. You know, my body type was not built for those shorts or t-shirts and so it there are some embarrassing pictures of me in a, in some student sections from about 08 08, shorts, 08 through about 11 there when it was the very tight top nike uh, jerseys and then the yeah. absolute parachute mc hammer yeah. shorts and i there's a there's a certain segment of my facebook that i need to just purge because you, it is you, not you and as a hundred and 146 pounds my freshman year of college or whatever those shorts were not for me
1: you and me both you and me both. There are pictures that pop up of me now. I have like 6X tall tee on. You know what I mean? Like, you, you remember those days. I think it's coming back, too. The young guys are wearing these real baggy, clothes man it's coming back I was like I was dressing like that in sixth grade
0: yeah I grew grew up in a place that was not trend setting I was we're five years behind the every trend from a small town right and so I'm just like oh man I got I had like 10 years of tall tees that I had to work through in my you know in my life and I'm like the the rest of the country only had five I had to deal with 10 years of that yeah not good not good for me
1: I'm with you I'm with you we were talking to
2: J.R. Blount last week uh he's over at Iowa State and and he's a former player, and I was like, you know, they got these flicks from the runway sort of pictures, like the team account will post these kids walking into the arena. And I'm Jalen, like when you showed up to games at LSU and and when you were playing at Moorhead State, what were you throwing on? Like, was it just the team uh, issue? Yeah, it was, it
1: was, it was team issue stuff, man. We could, I, we couldn't afford any of the stuff these dudes are wearing these days, man. It's a, a different time, though. It's a different time, though. Yeah, I'm not hating. They, look, they, they look. Our biggest good. thing we, we had. uh Do you remember NiceKicks.com? I believe so, yeah. Kicks on court was a big deal. Like, that was when you really made a splash. Like, (laughs) whatever shoes you played in. And so we had to beg Coach Johnson, Trent Johnson at the time, to like, Coach, please let me wear these, man. Please.
0: Well, that's when, like, that's, like, sorry, we're getting way off topic, But that's when, like, (laughs) uh, there were so many, like, Kobe, like, fours and fives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they had new colorways every single week, it seemed like. And so, and that was the era of college basketball when you didn't have to wear your blue and and white shoes you you started going crazy with it so yeah that was, i'm glad nice boy or kicks on kicks the court, on I, court man. yeah man court. i yeah. i haven't i man that's that brings me back right there
2: man i love this memory lane we're going down here uh jalen i got a few quick hitters for you though let's have What's a little up? fun here okay let's do it greg mcdermott i've seen the man patrolling sidelines for as long as i can remember right uh Tell us a little bit about him off the court, though. What are some things that the public probably doesn't get to see about Greg McDermott? What are some things you want to share about him off court?
1: Uh, I'll just say he's funny, man. He's quick wit, and like he's just—he's this just massive dude, and he's quiet kind of. But then, like when he gets going, he's a—he's a hilarious, hilarious individual. He did, listen. He should talk to you. He doesn't believe I was a good player because he's seen <laughs> me like thirty pounds overweight and all that stuff. Like somebody's got to let him know.
2: I got, I, I, yeah, man. I'm, I'm here to campaign for you. You let me know. I can Sub- do that for you, Jalen.
0: Subi said, talked about your elite playing career at least three or four times. So, I mean, this is the guy to talk to Doug. Yeah, or, no, right. to coach about, yeah, I need right. him
1: in my corner, man. I, yeah, need, right. I need him in my corner. But you no, need a Max, man, yeah. Uh, Max, he's the best. Like I said, he's got the best temperament that I've ever been around. Uh, he's so poised and patient with his guys. I think um, one of the biggest compliments. I think I've given him, and he was a little bit taken back by it when I gave it to him. You know, I just told him, "I said, you you coach everybody in the program as if it's your son, like everybody. You know, with that type of patience, with that type of confidence, um, and 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 I think that that's why our guys play with so much freedom and, and and confidence, and they really enjoy it.
2: The culture he's built there in Omaha is super impressive. Like Taylor, do you, do you know a time uh, with Creighton basketball before Doug McDermott? I, I almost don't. Like I, I, I think Doug McDermott, Creighton, Creighton, Doug McDermott.
0: I mean, my mom, my mom lived in Omaha for two years growing up, so that would be about the only, yeah, that would be my only reference point right there.
1: No, listen, this place has a lot of tradition and history, um, and they've had a lot of good basketball teams. Obviously, you know that this program going into the Big East changed things. It, it made it a uh, a national brand. Uh, and we're, we're still working that direction. Like when I got here, you know, I was making calls. I'm like, "Do you got? Do you do you realize what's happened here?" And a lot of people, you know, didn't know. Um, and I think I think those those stones are t- starting to get unturned now, and, and people are starting to realize, you know, what kind of place this is and how special Coach McDermott is.
2: You have called Mississippi home, and now Nebraska is home. Yep. Talk to me. Compare and contrast those two states for me.
1: Uh, biggest difference is the weather. Like, it was negative 20 or so last week or something like that, right? And the first time I experienced something like that, I, I almost Facetime Mac and said, hey, man, I'm done. I, you didn't tell me. <laughs> you know, but uh year three, now is normal. It's, I think it's 35 out. It feels like South Beach. Uh, so that's the biggest difference. But, you know, Southern hospitality, you know, I thought was only in the South. Uh, but in the Midwest, man, these people are, are – they're they're great. Like my family, they've they've embraced me and, and, and my, my my wife and my three girls uh, in a way that it feels like we've been here forever and can't imagine you know being anywhere else.
2: It looks I mean it looks like the hospitality is a real deal because are you in like a corner booth dedicated strictly to Jalen Courtney Williams here? No, no, no. Wherever no. you're coming for, it's to not, us not from. Kind of, it's
1: not that kind of deal, man. Not that kind of deal. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> do that.
2: Um go back to your playing days, even coaching actually. Toughest place to play.
1: Toughest place to play when I was a player.
2: And if there's a specific game or moment, would love to hear that story too.
1: No, I'm just gonna say I played in rep arena one time and, and I I swear they went up twenty as soon as the ball got tipped up. It was ridiculous. <laughs> that was that was a national championship team. It was like as soon as the ball went up. You,
2: you 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 slipped up a little. You said something about AD. Was there like a particular play where you're like, "Golly, this guy is good."
1: No, he blocked my shot three times. Somehow, I don't know how he did it. There was, I mean, I think he blocked a layup. He blocked a, a three ball, um, and he was nowhere near me. Both, you know, it was two times. He was nowhere near me either time. So, you know, it, it's it's always cool to look back uh, and think like, "Wow, you know, you 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 share the stage." So to speak, I was there <laughs> with with guys that'll go down to some of the, some of the greatest you know players to play the game. so that, that's always cool. Um, I will say this as a coach, you know coaching in the big east is has been special. Um, obviously, I grew up in the South and I was only really familiar with the SEC and, and you know a little bit of the big 12 just kind of growing up where I grew up. you know I told you LSU was, was it for me. Um, but being in these environments where they really care about basketball. The way they do is second to none. You know, we, we play in some incredible cities, um, in some incredible arenas, and some of these rivalries, even though the new big east is what, how, how old is the new big east? Um, New
2: Year's, I, I mean, the, the rivalries run deep, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you got us in Yukon, yeah. you know, um, Providence. I feel like everybody's a rivalry for Providence, the way that place is always jam packed. Um, You know, Marquette, Creighton is always a fun time. And you're talking about places that really care about ball. And there's no football. There's no football in the Big East. So, you know, basketball is the mainstay. And that was new for me. That was was new for me. As a player and coach, you know, you you know it. I I was in the South the whole time. And people like ball. People like their ball for sure. But, you know, they love their football. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not mad at it. But being in the Big East, man, has been special. I mean msg for the biggies tournament has to be something else it it gets no better it gets no better
2: i believe it um i mean we're having a little fun here but i do want your honest opinion about something that is relatively serious especially with coaches and looking out for the safety of their players court Mm -hmm. storming seems to always be a topic every single year but this past week it's become a very uh hot topic where do you land on court storms because You're coaching a team where – have you gotten stormed on before? I'm assuming you have.
1: I have not gotten stormed on before. Okay. I have not gotten stormed on before. Uh, Listen, I I would say this. It's it's a part of the tradition of the game. Obviously, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, um, and you want to protect both the fans uh, and the players the best you can. But, I mean, what's a good game without a storm, you know?
2: That's right. I I like hearing that. Hey, Taylor – and confirm this for me, Jalen. You went to Provine High School, right? Yes. Graduate. You yes. know who else
0: is Taylor? Who else went to? what's it what? What's the high school? Provine High School.
1: Provine High School. The Provine High School. The. Excuse me. I forgot yeah, yeah, the. The. Yeah.
0: Who else went there? um Do I get a, a hint to not drag this along for too long? This
2: will well,
1: be fun.
2: He's a music guy. He's a rapper. You ever seen the
1: Chevy with the? A... Wait 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 wow. wait! Rapper producer. Yep. An I'm selling him short. Uh, not,
0: with, not with the butterfly doors. <laughs> not, don't, don't get like me. You know. <laughs> Did you ever cross paths with David, David Banner?
1: David, David, David Banner. <laughs>
2: were you able, able to ever cross
1: paths with him? Uh, I think I saw him at like a YMCA one time playing ball when I was younger. Uh, but I, you know, you, you you don't you don't go too many days in a row without hearing his name, some kind of way, or, or hearing his music. Uh, so shout out to David Banner. And you know, Provine's had a lot of guys. Um I think uh Fred Smoot played in the NFL, went to Provine, Justin Reed, you know, God rest his soul, um, played at Ole Miss and played in the NBA for for a little while. Um, you no, know, Provine's had some guys and, and Jackson, Mississippi's had some guys as well. So hey, yeah, how about that man? David Banner. I had to bring it up.
0: I almost think the Fred Smoot reference is is <laughs> it's almost crazy to me. Talk, we talked about underrated guys, Fred Smoot, underrated guy. Yeah,
1: he had a come film. on, man. Come on, man. That's what we produce. We yeah, produce man, dudes me, that just get it done, man.
2: <laughs> let me tell you something, man. When I was doing, when I reached out to you and I was doing the features, I was like, I can't wait to cut through all the college basketball and creating questions so I can get to David Banner and we can talk about him.
1: Have you ever seen a Chevy? With, 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 with yeah. <laughs> there you go.
2: That's got to be your, that's got to be your uh walkout, your team's walkout song. Creighton's walkout song how do we get coach McDermott to uh to you know I don't know if that's his
1: that. style I don't know if this is that maybe I'll get him one day
2: Jalen this has been amazing and such a blast the stories you and the details you've shared have been awesome do me a favor though this is my last question and segment that I do okay. with all of my guests it's called bring them up on stage uh is there anyone that you can recommend in the college basketball space player coach whatever it is reporter I don't know uh, who would be kind enough to jump on here like you were, share some stories, and uh, deal with my nagging texts like you were?
1: Two people, and and they both have a similar affiliation. Uh, one is Austin Clunch. He's a, an assistant coach at Alabama, um, former head coach of Nichols, who I had some battles with when I was at McNeese. Uh, but he's a good, great, great, great dude and and a close friend of mine. Um, Tavon Sadler, who's the current head coach of Nichols, he's the youngest head coach in the country at 28 years old. He played at Nichols four years ago. Uh-huh. I think he's a, he's a, He was a player at Nichols four years ago, maybe five, if I'm not mistaken, and now he's the current head coach, and he's, he's, he's crushing it. Um, three people, actually. Corey McCray is the associate head coach over at Florida, uh, who I worked with at uh, Mississippi State. Who's also a great friend and, and mentor of mine? So, yeah, those three guys would be great. They'll have a lot of fun.
2: I appreciate it, Jalen. I might tug on your shirt to uh, get in contact with them. We were you have I appreciate it, man. This was a blast.
1: We'll say hello. Hello.
2: Who we got the back there? Too bad you're not here enjoying the cigars. <laughs> we we got to make a trip out there next time. All right. We got to go.
1: Have- my treat. My treat.
2: Jalen, Courtney, Williams, this was a real blast. Thank you again. Best of luck this upcoming week. Uh, we will be in touch, and of course, we'll be looking at you guys uh, as awesome. we enter March. Thanks. For awesome.
1: That. This was awesome. Thank you.
2: Okay, I want to thank Jalen again for jumping on. Had a lot of fun sharing his insights, his stories. I think uh, the, the the talk about personnel for Creighton was very interesting. His work with Ryan Brenner and then why that lineup that we mentioned and again that lineup is trey alexander stephen ashworth ryan kulk brenner mason miller and baylor shireman i loved getting his answer as to why it was such an effective and efficient lineup jalen courtney williams is just a ton of fun uh funny guy and we're rooting for his success
0: that was awesome he was a great interview and it is really funny and i know we've had a number of these guys on lately um and it just kind of shows where we're at in our lives when we're interviewing coaches that are our age, right? And I know that I've missed several of the recent interviews, which you've been crushing it, by the way. Let me just, let me, speaking, of, speaking of being humble and modest, you've been crushing it on the interview circuit here. But it's really interesting to go through um, the era of college basketball that we're familiar with, but then also discuss that with a guy who played in the era that we are familiar with. And then is now coaching in the current era of college basketball and how we feel about basketball versus how someone feels who's actually involved in the game and so that's what really gets me with a lot of these like 30 specifically 30 to 40 year old guys um where it's like huh we we have we've watched the same things but have different perspectives on them right i mean he he was i mean when he was listing off all the players from mississippi which i didn't i mean I, i guess i knew those guys were from mississippi but wouldn't have put that all together. Like that, that was like a great era of college basketball when those guys came, like Renardo Sidney was the, was supposed to be the guy in in college basketball. Like I said, it was or like a uh, Jalen said, number one recruit in the country. Um, one of the original bigs, not original, yeah. but I mean, he, he was expected to be able to step out and hit three But kind of before the three point era fully entered. Um, yeah, no, I was, it was a great interview.
2: But even some of the names like Monte Ellis, which is really deep. We talk a little Fred Smoot. Um, nah, and and you're right, Taylor, just talking with these guys. And he's over here like, yeah, man, it's crazy. This one time I played Anthony Davis. Like, Anthony freaking Davis, a top 75 player ever to pick up a basketball. And, yeah, he, he shared a stage with with AD. It was a lot of fun chatting with uh, Jalen. And very encouraging stuff for Creighton, right? I mentioned that January has been a very kind month to them and Jalen talks a little bit about what he wants to see at this juncture of the season for, for the Jays. And, uh, let's see how February unfolds for them in the big East. We're definitely going to be looking forward to that. Taylor, let's get out of here on some segments. How about some damn old dimes? The big fella still hot. Let's recap last Uh, Last time you gave us some picks, St. Peter's minus seven didn't hit for some reason. That was actually kind of shocking. Uh, Western Kentucky minus six and a half does hit. And uh, by the way, St. Peter's lost to Ryder. Western Kentucky covered six and a half against FIU and Oregon covered minus eight and a half against ASU, bringing Taylor to 18, 15 and three. We're just stacking winning weeks. You are not me.
0: You, we are. We're profitable for, like I said, I think five or six weeks in a row now. So we're still chasing. We still need another three and O week. Um, I said last week I didn't, or last episode, excuse me, I didn't feel great about my picks. I, I liked them. I didn't love them. I like my picks this week. I like them. And let's talk about a team that you just wrote off at the beginning of this episode in Michigan State. Kind of, well, kind of wrote off. Well, they're playing a team that right, written off would be a really nice way to put how their season has gone, and that's the Michigan-Wolverines rivalry game at home. This is the time of year that... Uh, this, is, this is a bet that's not based on anything that Michigan State has done positively this season. Um, it's based off what we know about Michigan state as a program. This is about the time of year that if that they get going, if they're going to get going, it's going to be right now, Michigan is just absolutely in shambles. And so I'm going to take Michigan state in a rivalry game, of course, uh, by 11 at home against Michigan. I mean, I don't know. Michigan has nothing to play for at this point. They're about the most worthless. You talk about UCLA. They're about the tied for the most worthless program in the country right now that has mm-hmm. some decent expectations this year. So, um, we're gonna that go. That was an
2: elite eight game, by the way, a couple seasons ago. UCLA. Yeah, Michigan?
0: right. Not this year. Uh, not even a CBI game this year. So yes. um, we're gonna go a little south of there for our next bet, and that's a team that kind of referenced at the beginning that maybe has had a few more struggles than they anticipated this year. and That's Kansas, um, Oklahoma State, a team that has a, had a lot more uh, struggles than anticipated this year. Kansas. I think this is a get right game for them. I don't love taking these big spreads, but Kansas is a 15 point point favorite at home. And I can't imagine Kansas won't have a game at some point where they just put the hammer down after a couple losses this year. Um, not bad losses necessarily, but just losses. This is the worst starting, um, start to the big 12 regular season that Kansas has ever had under Bill self. Um, and it's, they're still above 500, just, so, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. but um, at some point I feel like Kansas is going to have a game where they just molly someone just to like, get a lot of their frustration out. I think that's this game uh, tonight. Uh, so that's Kansas by 15 over kind of a hapless Oklahoma state team at this point. And then I'm going to go take a road favorite, which is always a, always a tough one, but a team that um, they cut, they struggle a little bit, maybe a game they should have won by more They've certainly had some personnel issues this year, but they might be rounding back into shape, and that's Illinois over Ohio State. Illinois is a three-point favorite on the road at Ohio State. I think that given the fact that they have all their personnel back for better or for worse, however we want to phrase that discussion, right? um, I'm not sure, but I do know that everyone is going to be on the court for this game, which gives them a significant talent advantage over Ohio State. And Ohio State certainly is not as bad as Michigan, but they did lose to Michigan uh, like last week. So uh, we're gonna roll with Illinois minus three over Ohio State. We're gonna go Kansas by fifteen over Oakey State, and we're gonna go Michigan State over or by eleven over Michigan.
2: I love it. So we went the week prior: Rider, St. Peter's, FIU, Western Kentucky, ASU, Oregon. We're getting back to the big hitters. Yeah, yeah. this week as as we can tell, Illinois, Ohio State. It's getting a little the the ch- the chatter is starting in Columbus regarding Chris Holtman right now. Yeah, um, I think people are kind of saying like, "All right, we're done with the Ryan day slander after he's bringing in everyone, and this is the this is the upcoming year." But they they're like, "Okay, what's going on with basketball now?" Because ever since they got upset by Oral Roberts, Ohio State has not looked good whatsoever, and that's now a couple seasons ago.
0: Ohio State is a is a weird, for lack of a better term, They're basketball weird. program. Yes. It's it kind of how I feel about Texas basketball in a way too, where it's like, why aren't you guys good every year? <laughs> like what, like, what do you need more than what you're given? And you, you're not good. At, I mean, yeah. in Texas, Texas, don't even get me again. Don't even get me started on Texas. Cause I was in lane violation last week. And they continue to violate that lane oh, again. Yeah. Oh my God. Just the biggest losers in this united states of america here it's like horns down
2: it's like horns down is some sort of slur or like it's absurd (laughs) it is it is so
0: ridiculous just i mean what are we doing here but you could yell certain words at texas players and somehow they're more offended by horns down than actual legitimate negative comments from it's it's the dumbest thing of all time
2: it is. Uh, let's move on though, Taylor, to not so mid. Who are we highlighting from the mid-major ranks?
0: Yes. Yeah, let me get that pulled up right now. Well, you know, I, I kind of messed up because we we a little bit we talked about it a little bit already, and that's the West Coast Conference and just what's happening there. So specifically St. Mary's having, you know, being undefeated in the conference and having an opportunity to cement themselves this week as the as the team in that conference um for me that's that's what i'm highlighting in in that because if st mary's wins these games against santa clara and gonzaga they'll essentially have i don't want to say put away the conference but it'll it'll be about right there and uh they just have a real opportunity to finally unseat Gonzaga as the team in that conference. So my not so mid is, is St. Mary's just kind of continuing down the path. You know, they beat LMU, they beat Pacific, which they held Pacific to 28 points the other day, by the way.
2: Oh yeah. And Gonzaga didn't play all that well against that Pacific team.
0: I know. Right. So, so my, my not so mid is not necessarily about in, in any specific performance. It's just the body of work that St. Mary's has put together thus far, giving them an opportunity in the next five days to have essentially the the biggest five days that they could potentially have as a, at, at, and have had in a basketball pro as a basketball program since like Dova Delva was there. Um and friend of the program uh, uh Omar, Samhan. Omar, oh, Samhan. Oh, Omar Samhan. Omar Samhan, that's right yes yeah, of course right. yeah 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 friend of the Gosh, program so that was last yeah. year yep so uh so my not submit is is St. Mary's and West Coast conference. I mean it's it's coming to a head this week.
2: We're gonna take a trip, Taylor, to Connecticut. All right. Hamden to be more specific where the Quinnipiac Bobcats are rolling right now. All right. They are eight and one in conference, 16 and four overall. We mentioned St. Peter's. Yeah. Well, they're a game clear of them for first place. Tom Picora, first season in Hamden at Quinnipiac doing this. First of all, I cannot lie. The only reason I know about Quinnipiac or I've heard about it prior to this podcast is because I grew up in the area And a lot of a lot of high school friends, family go there. But if you don't know about Quinnipiac, the only thing you may know about them is their hockey team. Nobody knows anything about their basketball team, kind of including myself, if I'm being brutally, brutally honest. But they are atop the MAAC. Okay, I mentioned what a great job Tom Pacora is doing uh, in his first year there. And then we also need to talk a little bit about their balanced efforts from their players. Matt Belong, not to be. Confused with Matt LeBlanc. Uh, Yeah, he is leading the team in points at 18.4. Amari Tice is leading the team with seven rebounds uh, per game. And Savion Lewis, he's the facilitator. He's averaging nearly eight assists per game. Those are the three key studs uh, for Quinnipiac. Now, of course, as with other schools that are in similar conferences or play similar schedules. This is all going to come down to the conference tournament. But for right now, as we sit here in late January, we had to give some love to the Quinnipiac Bobcats, who again, sit at 16 and four, first in conference. And I hope they put together some sort of like Kennesaw State run, which is to say, I hope they win their conference tournament and get to the NCAA tournament. Shout out to the boys in Hamden.
0: So I think we can both agree that Quinnipiac is the best basketball team in Connecticut. Connecticut. Right right? Yeah. Right. Right. It's either yeah.
2: them or Yukon. I think that's yeah. fair.
0: Toss. Toss.
2: Lane violation, Taylor. What's uh, grinding your gears.
0: So I don't want to start rumors on this podcast, but if I mm. was, go- if I was going to start a rumor, I'm not starting a rumor, but if I was going to start a rumor, I'd talk about muscleman potentially angling his way out of Arkansas. Did you see this today? I did not see that. A little rumor flying around, this is my lane violation, is that coach is looking for other jobs before before Valentine's Day, right? Looking for a partner before Dang. Valentine's Day. Apparently, and again, this is all just uh, uh, unsubstantiated. I can't back any of this up, but apparently Muss is uh, potentially angling his way out of Arkansas and maybe has sent some inquiries to two maroon and gold teams in this country, one in the north in Minnesota and one in the south here near me at ASU. So really interesting to see how the play, what's at play already for a guy like Musselman, who's probably, you see a better, where do we rank him as a coach currently? He's a top 10, top 15 coach. I I remember. Top 10? Top 10?
2: 15? Like he's been to two straight elite eights. I'm saying, he's 10 been to- season,
0: like, okay, sure. Yeah. All right. I'll I, give you- I don't
2: know many other folks that have that kind of resume recently.
0: Okay. True. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. I'm not going to put him top 10, but he's a better coach than maybe what the Arkansas program is, is, is I guess where I'm going with this, but the two schools that he's looking at aren't necessarily better than Arkansas. So no, they're just not. think it's just think it's interesting when you have rumors like this come out during a season. I know they're having a struggle of a season, but uh, if you're a coach, you can't let this stuff come out during a year. So that's what my lane violation is. Must come on, man. We got to keep we got to keep things wrapped up a little more because we still got, as I said, 47 days at least in in left in this college basketball regular season. Keep it together a little bit.
2: My lane violation is for Keisha Johnson's technical foul in the Arizona Oregon game. I was watching a- that at a bar, Taylor. Absurd. So tough. I mean, just. So annoying. Like I'm, I'm watching at a bar, so I don't have much audio. I see Caleb, dunk, Caleb Love throw down a vicious dunk, momentum shifting dunk, a dunk that if you're not a robot, moved you in some way as a fan, but certainly as a player. So what does keisha Johnson do? He does a little head tap because it was, it was on your freaking head, whoever that Oregon defender was, and that warranted a technical foul. And so Oregon shoots two free throws, which they hit. And then Jermaine Kuznard hits some ridiculous three-quarter shot that it can only happen to Arizona. And the halftime lead would have been 14 or so, and it got trimmed to seven as a result of that technical foul. It's just so bad. And, and I'm so tired of having to come up here and blame refs for not letting kids have fun. It's not even letting them have fun, like showing emotion, right? Have you how can you play this game if you're like the Kawhi Leonard shot when he's going up for a layup and his face is just completely stone-faced. Kawhi Leonard's the only person on earth who can do that. All right. For the rest of them, when a huge dunk happens on the road, you let the guy celebrate a little bit, even if it's not harming him. Like he's Kasha Johnson's not shoving anyone. He's not taunting anyone that bad. He's not saying anything. So that's my lane violation. And for having to be at the bar with having no audio, I'm literally over here being like, did Caleb love get a tech because he was chirping at the fans and both would be, both are absurd. The fact that this resulted in a technical foul is nothing short of garbage. So I want to make sure that that ref hears how bad I think he is. And this is just an epidemic all across college basketball. You do something that moves the needle for you emotionally and you can't celebrate accordingly. Otherwise it's a technical foul. So annoying.
0: So I don't want to steal your lane violation, but since we're on Oregon and their missteps. Um, so that was the first sellout at Oregon in six years, by the way, a team that went to the final four like six years ago. Right. <laughs> so That's weird. seven years ago, um, and then they honored the um, Fiesta bowl uh, football winning team in Oregon there. And um so they, they made an entire section in the in the student section for the football team. Well, they all left after they got honored, which is hilarious. And that then when they when they honored the team, it was when they had them all come out of the court when um, Oregon Center uh, uh, got hurt and was Biddle. on the ground. Uh, whatever his name is. I can't remember his name. Yeah. They, they so, yeah. so he gets hurt. Altman's on the court hugging his player as he just suffered like a season ending injury. And then they try and bring Oregon's football team onto the court. This isn't funny. Sorry, they try and bring Oregon's football team on the court to rot to razz everybody up right well a guy just like tore his acl laying on the court crying it was like just a comedy of errors as it related to how oregon students the players and the fans all interacted with each other during that game so that would be its only violation right there hilarious that like all 100 members of the football team just failed after after leaving a massive section of the student section just empty kind of hilarious
2: yeah very very much planned on purpose to do it when arizona came and you know rally the team and it probably was loud in there but yeah oregon oregon football dan landing i can't imagine cares too much bow i don't think they care um uh, but getting back to that technical disgusting i i hated it so much but uh, i got that out of my system taylor finish us up on some positivity your easy layup for this week
0: well, something that's near and dear to my heart, Subin, and that's uh that's Fordham and Duquesne basketball. And really more so it's about that they had dollar beer night at Fordham uh versus oh. <laughs> And we're not talking about like we're talking about like full legitimate cans of beer, not just like uh, you know, like a, a eight ounce pour or something like that. So shout out to Duquesne specifically uh for Dollar Beer Night against a powerhouse in Fordham, of course. So there's, I don't think there's anyone in the country who can't get behind uh, supporting a dollar beer night at a college basketball game.
2: I love that. I hope those kids have a, have a blast. My easy layup Taylor is the Saturday slate. I referenced it earlier this episode, but my goodness, the, the, the games that are scheduled, it's a perfect storm. For getting eyes on college basketball because there's no football this weekend. You got Duke, North Carolina, the greatest rivalry in all of sports. I'm going to save my sermon for Thursday's episode. It's a yearly sermon that I have to deliver about why and how Duke, Carolina is the greatest rivalry in all of sports. So I'm going to save that. But we got that a top 10, top seven Duke, Carolina, Saturday. Tennessee, Kentucky, two of the best teams in the SEC. Tennessee still not getting any hype. Maybe it's my timeline. Maybe I'm not following the right people, but all I see is the rhetoric around Kentucky's amazing offense and their defense is kind of lacking. Keep hearing about Reed Shepard. And the only person we hear about for Tennessee is Dalton connect. And it's because he's averaging like 30 plus points in my eyes should be national player of the year. Debate your, debate your mom, Purdue fans. I'm sure you'll get Zach Eady again, but Tennessee, Kentucky, man, that is going to be a special matchup. And then, We got Houston and Kansas. That's the one I'm looking.
0: That's the one I'm looking forward to because I mean, Houston wins that game, and they got, despite a couple losses last week, they have a stranglehold on Kansas specifically. There'll be two and a half games essentially up on Kansas uh, with, you know, just forty, however many days, forty three days to play at that point. (laughs) You know, so yeah. um, No, that's the one that specifically I'm looking for because if Houston can go on the road, beat Kansas. Um, in Allen Fieldhouse, then they will have supplanted Kansas this year, this year, not in, ge- not in general. Well, I don't know. <laughs> no, maybe, not. In yeah. General. I, maybe last three years, you know, no. Uh, well,
2: these are two teams that have both been to final Fours very recently. Yeah. And this is one of those deals, Taylor, that but, like when you look at the schedule and when you see Houston go into the big 12, you're like, hell yeah, this yeah. game.
0: No, this is the one. And, and it's both teams that maybe lost a game or two more than they would have liked to this year, but it still doesn't make this game any less big because it still will probably be the deciding game um, or one of the two deciding games that decides the big 12 this year. So that's the one I'm specifically looking forward to Duke, North Carolina. Great. That's that I, you know, that's, that's a one-off type of game for me. Houston, Kansas is the one that I'm legitimately looking forward to most.
2: I think the most, the one I'm looking to most is balls, cats, Tennessee, Kentucky, but this is actually a close second Purdue, Wisconsin, that's a top six matchup. I could absolutely see Purdue. Wisconsin's fall into Wisconsin is not
0: that good. Wisconsin's not the sixth best team in the country. I
2: look, man. Let's see. Uh, well, they lost look, by a think...
0: hundred and eighty-five points in Tucson like a month ago. Like they're not the sixth best team in the country.
2: So fine, uh, but I don't want to see them in March. Actually, did you see Big Cat tweeting about that? He was like, "Do Arizona fans want to see us in March? Absolutely not. No, I do not. <laughs> I, I, despite what happened in December." But Purdue-Wisconsin is going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be competitive. It's going to be a Big Ten brawl. You mentioned St. Mary's-Gonzaga. And then let's not forget about TCU and Texas Tech. Big tournament implications here for TCU, I think, specifically. Texas Tech, baby. What I tell you about Grant McCaslin, they're really hot right now. Now, are they the best team of the Big 12? I don't think so. But right now, for what it's worth, as we sit here in late January – Let's give them their flowers. But TCU, Texas Tech is going to be a critical, critical game. And I could see that being one of those crazy shootout Big 12 games that goes to like one overtime or double overtime. But easy things, easy layups uh, for this weekend. It's the Saturday slate. Buckle up and settle in. All right, folks, want to thank Jalen Courtney Williams one more time for jumping onto the program. Had a lot of fun. Uh, And thank you, as always, for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.